Okay, friends, when you're able, would you please grab a Bible? There are some on the table as you walk in if you need one. Welcome to use um, an app. You're welcome to use your phone, whatever device is the device of your preference. But one thing I would ask all of you to do, regardless of how you access God's Word, is that you would access this piece of paper that was in your bulletin, these green sheets, and please fill those out, this Trinity Connect card. Whether you're a first-time visitor or this is, um, you're a regular member of the church, would you please fill that out? It helps us know how we can better pray for you. And there's areas on the back where you can send us a note. As elders, you can um, offer ways that we can pray for you, offer comments, offer critiques on a sermon about being offended, how offended you are by the whole experience. Um, make yourself um, have at it however you want, but please turn those in as the offering plates come down the aisle. We are coming to the very end of the chapter in the book of John that has been referred to as Grand Central Station. It's called Grand Central Station because there is just so much that happens in this one chapter. And as we're going to see today, when they get to the very end of the chapter, people are offended by what Jesus had just said. And let me ask you a question. When was the last time that you were offended? And what was it about? The word offend comes from the Latin word, which means to strike against. To be offended means that something is said to you, a comment was made, that cut to the heart, that hurt, that somehow violated your perceived rights. And um, in this age of ambient anxiety, where, where you have this digital nervous system that's always online. It doesn't take very long for some tweet about race or sexuality or disability or environment or nationality or age or creed to feel gut-punched, gut-punched by something that's said. And gut-punch is the right word because that's literally what the word offended means. It means to be struck, to be hit. What people can say even unintentionally, can be very offensive to us. And what they can say can be very harsh. And in this passage, we see Jesus offend two groups of people in the Capernaum synagogue. One of these groups abandons Jesus, and one of these groups follows him. And John calls them all disciples. So what gives with that? Children, in the sermon today, I want you to listen for a couple of things. I want you to listen for the number 12. I want you to listen and see if you can hear who Judas Iscariot's dad is. And I want you to listen to a story about wooden teeth. Keep your ears open. Number 12 who Judas Iscariot's dad is, and the mention of wooden teeth. Would you, if you're willing and able, stand this morning for the reading of God's word from John chapter 6, verse 60, down through the end of the chapter, verse 71. Remember, Jesus is teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum when we read these words. When many of his disciples heard it, that is, the sermon he had just given, verses 27 through 59. They said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, 
Do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted, <clears throat> granted him by the Father. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. And Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve? And yet one of you is a devil. He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. Now this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Please. So standing in the synagogue, Jesus is teaching these many disciples. And uh, the Greek word that you find for disciples is uh, methaton. And disciples, plural. And a disciple is a follower. He's a learner. He's an adherent. Mathetes. It's used 245 times in the New Testament. And he refers to a group who at this point are people who are listening to him, who are following him. Some people are literally following Jesus because they want to hear what he has to say. They're following him. They're, they're, that's what the disciple means. They're followers of Jesus. They don't believe in him. They're not necessarily Christians. They haven't placed their faith in him, but they're following him. And then there are another group of people that Jesus assumes here to be not just literal disciples, but metaphorical disciples as well. That is, that they have placed their faith in him. That they don't just see him as somebody worthy to follow because we may get our bellies filled again like he fed them at the feeding of the 5,000. But he's more than that. He is somebody not just that I will literally follow, but somebody that I place my trust in. My hope is placed in this person. There's two different kinds of disciples here. The word disciple in the New Testament is often used different ways. As you'll see in this passage, some of the disciples turned away. They didn't lose their salvation. They never trusted him in the first place. A disciple is not necessarily someone who places their faith in Christ. Uh, you know, later Jesus makes it clear in, in John eight thirty one. He says, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. So Jesus clearly knows that there are people in the crowd, all who are following him, all who are listening to him, some of whom believe and some of whom don't. It's the same assumption we make in every worship service the Christian church has ever had. And I pray that there are some disciples who are literally disciples, that they're just following the trends of the crowd. It's, they're, they're finding themselves here. They don't yet believe. I pray that you walk out a metaphorical, a spiritual disciple, that you hear in this passage the good news of the gospel, a word we've used many times already in this service. That is, the greatest news in the world, news too good to not be true, that all of your longings and all of your aspirations and everything that you desire, justice, equity, peace, is met not in an idea, but it's met in a person. And his name is Jesus Christ. 
And he shows you the extent of his love and commitment to you by dying on a cross for you. So that you might, with everything in you, say, woe is me. I am a sinner who has the opportunity to place my faith in Christ, to become the righteousness of Jesus, a saint, perfectly holy in every way. And kiddos, we pray, we pray that you place your trust in Jesus, maybe even today. Stage, the stage is set in verse 61, where Jesus, to these people, <clears throat> say, this is a hard saying, back in verse 60, this is referring to what he just said in verses 26 down through 59. This is a hard saying. It's not just that it was hard to understand. It was offensive. It was harsh. It was a scleros. Scleros hologos is the Greek. It is a hard teaching, a hard word. Anybody here ever had family members who had arterial sclerosis? Right? What is that? That's the hardening of arteries. Right? Same word in Greek, scleros. It's where you get the word hard. It's harsh. It's hard. And they were expecting Jesus to give him some eloquent, beautiful truth. They just fed their bellies with the fish. They're thinking they're going to get some amazing now new meal, some new idea. And he hands them, instead of something incredibly easy to chew, he gives them fish jerky. And they're offended, really, at um, his hard teaching. And and, um, it characterizes what he... Jesus means by false disciples. John presents us with two different groups of people. There are false disciples, verse 60 through 66, and there are true disciples, verse 67 through 71. What characterizes a false disciple? Well, I mentioned it. Number one, a false disciple are those who are offended by Jesus' hard teaching. Jesus calls them out. He says, are you so easily offended? Do you take offense at this, verse 61? The crowd was looking for their immediate needs to be met in Jesus, their bellies to be filled, them to be led into freedom from the Roman oppression. They were looking for some immediate physical need, and Jesus spoke of spiritual realities. That was one way that they were offended. You see that way back in chapter 6 in verses 26 and 27. They were also unwilling to relinquish their authority to Jesus, You read about that in verses 28 and 29. Jesus says, I have been sent by the Father. I am the Holy One. And they took offense at that. How can this Johnny-come-lately schoolboy who we saw grow up, the son of Joseph and Mary, how can he have the audacity to say he comes down from the Father? Which is why Jesus says in the next verse, what will you say when you see me ascend to the Father? Because I have come down from the Father. They were offended not just because they wanted their, middle, their immediate needs met, not just because they were unwilling to relinquish their authority, but they were, back in verse 32 and 49 and 50 of chapter 6, they were offended because Jesus said that he was greater than their leader Moses. He confronted their religious tradition, and that offended them. So if you're keeping notes, right, They were looking for immediate needs. They didn't want to relinquish their authority. They offended their religious tradition. Is it making sense yet? Do you see yourself in the story? For they were hungry, but Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you will have no part in me. That's offensive to almost everyone who heard it. Drink your blood. This is why the early church was accused of cannibalism, by the way. 
because they would hear discussions like this amongst the brothers and sisters in the church and they would come to the Lord's Supper of his body and blood and the Roman people would just crush, destroy their reputations because they talk like cannibals. And the people in the Capernaum synagogue were offended by this. this these four ideas that Jesus brings together, the spiritual needs that he meets, his authority, that he is greater than Moses and that he is the true bread of life would have made great sense if, as many scholars believe, the lectionary in the synagogue at that time would have been Exodus 16. That's the story of manna. And Isaiah 54, that's the quote where he says, you won't need, you will all be able to teach each other, right? A picture of the day to come when we're all made new. And if Jesus is reading those two Old Testament texts in the Jewish lectionary in the synagogue, then this sermon would have just rolled off of his lips because they're standing before him listening to him speak. So the first thing that characterizes false disciples is they are easily offended at Jesus' hard teaching. Are you? Second, what else characterizes false disciples? Verse 63 False disciples fail to realize Jesus' words are spirit-inspired and life-giving. That Jesus' words are spirit-inspired and life-giving. It is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. I love how John says, not just no help, it's no help at all. You know, our country was founded, America was founded on the utopian idea of progress. That we will be able to progress and create a republic that is so beautiful and amazing that it will provide unrivaled uh, growth and flourishing, human flourishing. And in many ways, that's been an amazing experience for most people. It has been a, an amazing thing. But for many minorities in this country, that's not their experience. And for many of you, even still, that's not your experience because even though we live in a country that has just offered us so much, so much, never has your sense of loneliness and depression been so deep. Never has your sense of anxiety been so distracting and heavy. And Alexander Solzhenitsyn says, even in utopian societies like the West sought to create, he says this as an Eastern, as a Russian, the problem is that the good and bad in the human heart slices right through its center. And so they were offended that it's a spirit that gives life, that we would come under the authority of God's word and say, though our circumstances change in whatever realm that may be, in your job, in your government, in your house, whatever it might be, God's word is true. Third, the disciples refused to come to Jesus and believe in him. Verse 64 and 65. These are just characteristics that John has given us in this first part of the passage about what is a false disciple. Look at verse 64 and 65 in your notes. But there are some of you who do not believe because Jesus knew from the beginning those who did not believe and, those who, and who it was that would betray him. When you believe, Jesus comes to give you abundant life. The devil comes to kill, to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus says, I've come, I've come to give you life and give it to you abundantly. Life indeed. And Jesus holds out that meaning. It's like the story of the Grinch, right? In Whoville, whenever he find the, the lights went on, right? And, and the Grinch has like his conversion experience in, in the Grinch. And, 
And Theodore Seuss Geisel, Dr. Seuss says, And whatever happened then, well, in Whoville, they say, that the Grinch's small heart grew three sizes that day. And then the true meaning of Christmas came through. And the Grinch found the strength of ten Grinches plus two. When we become Christians and when we recognize that when we come to Jesus and we believe in him and we say that your spirit gives us life, the flesh is no help at all, we find that our hearts are enlarged. And they burn for justice for the oppressed. And they burn to love others who are hard to love. They burn for it. Do yours, Trinity, do your hearts burn for the lost in this city? Do they they burn for those who don't look like you but who are oppressed? To those who may not even believe like you but don't have the privileges that you do? do Do you burn for that? Do you yearn to love them well? Are you teaching your children what it means to look outside of your house to the needs of the community, how can we do that better together? That's an honest question that I want us to ask and hopefully answer together in the months and years to come. The fourth sign of a false disciple is found in verse 66. False disciples abandon their pursuit of Jesus. The Greek is apothon, ta. Opiso, they turned back, they turned away, they walked the other direction. The prob- this problem is really nothing new. One pastor said, how many seek for Jesus in the church for no other object than to get some kind of temporal benefit? One has a business that has run into problems, and so he seeks the intercession of the pastor for prayer. Another is oppressed by someone more powerful than himself, so he flies to the church. Another desires to network with someone for business interests. One person wants this. Another person comes to church for that. The church is filled with these kinds of people. Jesus, this pastor says, scarcely is scarcely sought after for who he is, but so often for the benefits that he appears to convey through physical needs. Sounds like any one of us could have written that today, right? That was Augustine in the 5th century. We have the exact same tendencies. And before we look at the qualities of a true disciple... Um, it's important for us to recognize that we too are easily offended. Um, you don't have to raise your hands here, but anybody watch Saturday Night Live pretty regularly? Okay, some nervous people are looking at me. I see your eyes. All right. There's this, there's a bit on Saturday Night Live not long ago where there were two news anchors and and they were talking about um, um, you know the evening news and um, the bit starts where it says our top story tonight: people are offended. And it cuts out to the field anchor, and the field anchor says, This just in from the field. People are offended that people are offended. And it cuts back into the newsroom, and they look at the teleprompter, and they said, People are offended that people are offended. Well, personally, I find that very offensive. (laughs) And we have have all these little triggers, like Apu from The Simpsons can say something. I mean, this week, this week in the news, that what, it's, it's that they are selling magnets at Mount Vernon of George Washington's wooden teeth. And people are getting offended that they're selling wooden teeth because they find, they found that historically that wasn't true about George Washington. Did you know that? According to historians, that he didn't have wooden teeth. There's some, we don't, I haven't read it, so I don't know, but there's some people who are speculating that actually George Washington had teeth that were implanted in his mouth from other people. 
And so people are offended that you would advertise wooden teeth. That's not true. And they're getting offended that Mount Vernon. And so Mount Vernon, because of the fear of the social media backlash, the bookstore at Mount Vernon this week, they are auditing everything they sell because the people who are online have been offended, right? And we live in this world. You can call it the online Christianity world too, can't you? What's interesting to me is that if we do not learn how to understand what it means to be offended and how to walk in this world, we of all people are to be pitied in many ways. How are we to understand when it is and when it isn't appropriate to be offended? Let me just give you three little, little let me just throw them out there. Three things of how I, help, I try to help my kids and I try to think about when it's appropriate to be offended and when it's not. Number one, first of all, you need to know that choosing when and when not to be offended is a life skill. It's a life skill because if you're on the Twitterverse, if you're online, then it is very easily easy to keep the tweets with equal offense. So you can be offended that an entire Asian government tried to not let people know that there was an incredibly dangerous virus sweeping through their land. And the next tweet you can read that somebody was offended that somebody's wardrobe at the Academy Awards was not the right color. And we hear those things, and our children hear those things, and we think, you know what? The color of wardrobes and a whole government shutting down a really dangerous virus. Like, those are the, they're not the same level. One of those should make you angry, and one of those should make you keep scrolling. <laughs> it is a life skill. The 8th century prophet Micah says that he has told you, O oh man, what is good and what the Lord requires of you, but to do justice. How? And to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God, Micah 6, 8. We must do justice. We must be concerned about justice. And love kindness and walk humbly. And loving kindness and walking humbly is the means to doing justice. You must know how to express that you're offended in a kind way. In a kind way. And the Bible tells us that in Matthew 18, when you're offended, the way to do it is not... You know, it used to be called tit for tat. Now it's called tweet for tweet, right? Now you, you, you go to that person and you address them personally. And if they don't respond, then you bring two or three others with you. And if they don't respond, then you tell it to the church. If that's done in the confines of the church, that's our example. But what happens to us now as modern people is that the horseshoe theory has taken us by the neck. Do you know what the horseshoe, the horseshoe theory is? The horseshoe theory is that when somebody with a view that's totally opposite your view, begins to act in a certain way with certain methods. And you begin to react against how they responded. You almost always, if you don't act as Micah has taught us, with kindness and with humility, you will find that the horseshoe will bend you almost to the exact same spots in your methodology and your sense of personal rights, so that you two actually aren't that much different in the end. You see this all the time with political correctness. The left is always trying to suppress speech, and the far, far right is always trying to aggravate speech. I'm going to tell it like it is. But both perhaps need to learn from the other to say, you know what, sometimes suppressing speech can be extremely sinful and harsh and offensive. 
And the right, instead of trying to respond in a godly way, the far, far right, if they're Christians, have said things like, you know, um, we're going to say whatever we want without worrying if it offends. And so do you know who um, gets their impression from the, of Christians who are online? It's almost always when they see people on the far, far right and the way that they communicate online. That's their first impression of Christianity. And so when we use um, online platforms, use kindness and walk humbly or don't even post if you can resist the temptation because it's often a very hard battle to win. God made us for relationships. Choosing when and when not to be offended is a life skill. And we... Are apprentices of Jesus, who was the most offended person in human history. And when Jesus was wrongly accused, what did he say? Nothing. He did not open his mouth, the scripture says. And yet, at the same time, he threw over the tables of the money changers in the temple. And we see a lesson here from Jesus. And the lesson is that when others are violated or mistreated or disrespected or devalued, then we have a responsibility as Christians to stand up for them. That is the foundation of justice in the Western world, by the way. But we must not be offended or be surprised when we ourselves suffer. We address issues kindly and humbly, not angry, knowing that we await Ultimately, the vindication that will come to us from another, the Lord Jesus himself. So choosing when and when not to be offended is a life skill. Two, in our world, being offended is the price of diversity. Today's kindergarten and first grade and second grade class kids are the first cohort of elementary students where the minority ethnicity populations are larger than the white ethnicity populations. Kindergarten, first grade, second grade. And so all the minorities are saying, welcome to the club. Because we're now a nation of minorities when these second graders rise to be leaders of our free world. And being offended is the price of a diverse public square. And as diversity rises, so we're going to hear differing viewpoints. And notice that Jesus was always spending time with people of very different views. Offensive to the Pharisees the tax collectors, and the sinners. And we have to be aware that as we grow more and more diverse, even in our church, even in our church, that we have to be able to exercise the principle that we are centered on the gospel, that we exercise kindness and humility when we talk to each other, and that we grow to that. And if we offend, then we are quick to ask forgiveness and repentance. We never use repentance and forgiveness as an excuse for offending on the front end. You get that? That's what some people tend to do. I'm going to write this and tweet this, and if it offends, then I'll apologize. No, be wise about what you write and what you say. Proverbs says so much about the gift of the tongue and how dangerous it can be. Third, when we are offended, we are in reactive mode. We are in reactive mode. There is something biochemically about us, physiologically, that makes us feel defensive whenever we're offended. And we as a Christian have to be able to be the non-anxious presence in that environment and not respond, but to sit and wait, think, process. 
In this passage, we learn the difference between the way the world offends and the way that Jesus offends. Jesus offends every character of the story. Like, he is an equal opportunity offender. He offends the high priest. He offends the, the disciples. He offends everybody in Capernaum who hears him. He offends the Gentiles. He offends the Jews. He offends his followers. He offends the curious. He offends the 12 disciples. Everybody's insulted. Everybody feels punched in the gut by Jesus. And the world offends The world offends to get their message out, but Jesus offends you to get his message in. The world offends as a marketing scheme. Jesus offends as a great physician to get the gospel in you. And the principle of the text, if we could write one thing on your notes, it's this, that God offends sensibilities to reveal true identities. God offends your sensibilities to reveal your true identities. This is the way he's always been at work. He always offends in order to speak truth to your heart. True disciples are to speak the truth as best you can, fearlessly, with grace and humility, being open to truth regardless of a source. Your worst ideological or theological enemy can be right on some points. And you should give him the respect of being correct on some points. The knowledge of that reality should keep our minds and hearts open to discovering truth, even in the most unlikely of places and for the most unlikely of people. I, um, I'll send it out, maybe through community groups or something. But do you, everybody know, we're not going to play it, but you know that, you know that Justin Bieber, right, who, who Justin Bieber just led this incredible cottage industry of pop for so many years. You know, he's become a Christian now. And they've interviewed Justin Bieber. And if you listen to Justin Bieber talk, we'll try to send it out to the community groups. Like his testimony is pretty piercing because he's just talking about how he's basically given like a precy on like reform theology. The Lord opened my heart. I've had a lot of bad examples from other Christians. I've seen now the value of repentance and faith. Like he's talking like he could be in this room with us. It's really amazing. So who would have thought that, you know, Justin Bieber is actually the one who we would never have thought that we would be encouraged by spiritually. We're able to just say, that's amazing. And some of you are like offended that he would like talk about his Christianity so publicly. Ah, he's certainly, that's not really him. It's just a show. Well, it might be, but should you not give him the benefit of the doubt? And should you not praise God that the Lord would call a Saul of Tarsus yet again? It's beautiful. And we pray for each one of us in this room, and, and for brothers like Justin Bieber. True disciples. Okay. False disciples. Ways that we learn how to manage what we're offended by. False disciples are those who are offended by Jesus' hard teaching. They fail to realize Jesus' words are spiritual, spirit-inspired and life-giving. False disciples refuse to come to Jesus and believe in him. False disciples abandon their pursuit of Jesus. And we need to learn that being offended is a life skill, learning when and when not to be offended. Being offended is the price of diversity in our world. And when we're offended, you have to recognize that you're in reactive mode. So you can't operate out of that. You have to operate out of being a believer and thinking well and being a non-anxious presence in that world. You don't act defensively. You act kindly. Marks of the true believer, verses 67 through 71. First, They choose, verse 71 and 78, first half of uh, 67 and 68, the first half of that verse. They choose to stay with Jesus. Simon Peter says, Lord, 
even as Scott prayed this morning, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Like Asaph prayed in the Psalms, who do we have in heaven but you, O Lord? The earth has nothing that we desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but you, have, you are the strength of my life. You are my portion forever. It's interesting that Peter makes this confession, doesn't it? Number two, true disciples choose to stay with Jesus. Number two, they are attracted by Jesus' words that lead to eternal life. True disciples are those that know that their program for self-salvation has come to an end. And that Jesus' words are the only ones that lead to eternal life. Look at verse 68 again. You have the words of eternal life. True disciples recognize not only that Jesus has the words of eternal life, not only that we choose to stay with him, but that we recognize Jesus as the Messiah and we believe in him. We believe in him. The word that is used for believe is um, pisteo is the word faith. And John writes that pipisteo, like they have believed, like they have put their foot down, they believe. We believe. We've taken a stand with Jesus. We've pipisteo. We know it. We recognize him as the Messiah and that we believe in him. You are the Holy One of God. That is the Messiah. You are the Savior. And lastly, they realize the ever-present danger of betraying Jesus. Judas was one of the twelve. It says here, kiddos, it says his dad's name was what? Simon, Simon Iscariot. Iscariot is, uh, it's, a, it's a Hebrew way of saying the man that was from uh, Kirioth. Esau, Kirioth. It was the man from Kirioth. So Judas is the only one of the 12 disciples. Did you know this? That wasn't from Galilee. And it was Judas who was going to betray him. You have to realize the ever-present danger of betraying him. And while Jesus will never let you go, the way we betray Jesus is the same way that Peter, who just confessed Jesus, so publicly betrayed him. And that is when we are asked, do you know that man? And we are coward and we say no. When we are offended, we jump to defend our name and our honor at the expense of somebody else's name and honor. You're betraying him. It's when you refuse to help those who are near you who so desperately need help. And you say, you know what? I'm sorry. My schedule doesn't allow for that. You're betraying him. And as our city, as Owasso and as Tulsa and as Broken Arrow and Sepulpa and Catoosa and Claremore, all these cities begin to grow more and more and more as people move into them from the, the rural parts of our state. We're going to have more and more opportunity to shape the way that people understand Christianity. It is very mundane and ordinary and yet beautiful because you speak with kindness, because you speak with humility, because when you hear Jesus' words, they are attractive to you and you run to them. Jesus' teaching, friends, John 6 ends, is hard, scleros. But it can make you incredibly uncomfortable and you can turn away from Jesus like these disciples who chose not to follow him turned away. Or it can make you incredibly confident to know that Jesus is able to handle the weight of your sin and of your struggle and everything that you are dealing with. You can afford 
to suffer. Or you can have scleros of the heart. Elsewhere, Scripture speaks of cardiosclerosis, a hard heart. The author of Hebrews says that today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, quoting Psalm 95, which is thinking back about what happened in Israel in Meribah when they hardened their heart and they grumbled, why have you taken us out here to die away from Egypt, Moses? You can have cardiosclerosis. You can have a hardening of your heart if you grow numb to God's word. It is, it is a real physical diagnosis, by the way. Cardiosclerosis, did you know this? Arthrosclerotic cardiosclerosis is a condition in which scar tissue forms inside the heart muscle. This condition is clinically characterized by a degeneration of the muscle fibers which get subsequently substituted with connective tissue. And as a result, the number of heart muscle cells is reduced and the heart valve becomes gradually deformed and this can lead to stenosis. That is the narrowing of your blood vessels so that you can't get nutrients to the heart anymore. And the invitation this morning to us, wherever we are, is that you come to treatment for that and that's called the Lord's table. And you run to Jesus and you say to him, Lord, take my hard heart and like the Grinch, make it Three sizes bigger. And give me the power to live by your spirit in a world that is so easily offended with landmines all over the place and help me to keep my eyes on the cross. To have my identity rooted in what Jesus Christ has done for me so that I might not be so easily offended and so that I might be able to say with my Savior, when I'm offended, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do just as your Savior says of you, because you've offended him. Father, forgive them at Trinity, because they know not what they do. There is love in the midst of an offended culture, and there is a pathway forward, and you must choose whether to follow Jesus or turn away from him. Which will it be? Let's follow Jesus to the cross, O disciples. And let's see him resurrected three days later to be the first fruits of our liberty that we so desperately want, found only in Christ. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we know that any sin is more or less heinous depending upon the honor and the majesty of the one whom we've offended. And since you are of infinite honor and majesty and holiness, that even the slightest sin is of infinite consequence to you. Lord, we confess that even the slightest sin is like cosmic treason against you. We have offended you in every way. So Lord, let us, teach us, teach us the ways of Jesus to know that we have been forgiven that a new name has been given to us, a righteousness that is not our own has been given to us so that we may operate in a world where we are not so easily offended. And when we are offended, we are offended for the sake of another, not to defend our own name, but to protect those who are unable in that moment to protect themselves. Lord, would you make us as your people, your hands and feet? Would you make us true disciples? Do you help us to stay with you? Give us a thirst and a hunger to be attracted by your words that lead to eternal life. Help us to recognize that you are the only Savior. And help us to realize the ever-present danger of betraying you. 
and to be sensitive to the way that we walk as your disciples in this day. And start with me and our elders and our deacons and everyone in this room. In Jesus' name, amen.